This is Talk of the Sound. I'm your host, Robert Cox. Today is April 13th, 2020. In this episode of our podcast, Bob Marone and I will cover a lot of ground. Look at the show notes for a complete list of links on each topic, more school food distribution issues in New Rochelle, workers testing positive, the death of a district employee, and some outrageous claims in a Psychology Today article. Get it on! Good morning, Robert. Hey, Bob. Good morning. How are you? Very good. It's a great to oh. hear you. There you are. Um, you've been a busy bee. We saw some of the stories and updates uh, regarding um, the school, uh, particularly the lunch program and the food program. I, I, I don't. I, I don't want to go as far as to say that you you predicted it because you couldn't. You know, how can one predict? But you warn them about uh, spacing, about keeping distancing. But I understand that some people have come down with the virus and the program has had to be modified or even closed. Uh, update us, please. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay. Because um, I'm not actually getting... Can you hear me? ...through back on my end. You, you're getting feedback? I can hear you. You can hear me. That's important. No, I, I'm not... I'm not hearing myself talking, but uh, okay. If you can hear me, I can hear you out, just fine. fine. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So you're right. I mean, I did an assessment of the uh, food distribution that was occurring, um, you know, since the schools got shut down, and uh, I wrote up the assessment actually at the request of the board president because she and I both sit on the district-wide health and was concerned to hear what I was describing. Um, I will tell you that um, it doesn't seem like the leadership of the district was actually going out looking at these sites themselves, and so they didn't really know what was going on from what I could tell because, um, as it turned out, uh, Dr. Feo was um, sick with the coronavirus. She was, while awaiting her test results, um, she and everybody else was assuming they had uh, coronavirus, and so they were all on self-isolation, so uh, none of the leadership of the district uh, was actually out and about uh, during that week or so uh, when the food program launched. So what I saw was was pretty frightening. Um, I wrote up an assessment. I shared it with uh, school officials in my capacity on the health and safety committee, but uh, I didn't get any response. Um, I sent uh, a number of emails uh, to the leadership uh, including the board and Dr. Feho and people in her administration. And to this day, I've never actually gotten a response. Um, so I went ahead and I published um, what I had because I at least wanted to warn the public that situation was not good. And what I saw was uh, nobody observing social distancing, uh, workers working without gloves, uh, no masks, um, and really none of the best practices of what you'd expect to see in a food distribution operation. And, um, you know, I, I basically summarized it by saying that the district had basically set up the perfect delivery mechanism for the widespread distribution of the coronavirus uh, by bringing all these people together and then uh, not observing any of these uh, best practices to limit the spread of, of COVID-19. So uh, part of that was I, I said that it seemed like the whole predicate for the operation was that nobody in New Rochelle had the coronavirus, which given the fact that we were the epicenter for the coronavirus in New York State at the time, 
uh, seemed absurd. And I asked the leadership of the district to consider what would happen if they had people testing positive at these different sites. Uh, they would end up having to send people home. They would have to shut down the site for a while. Uh, it would be very disruptive. The people who are going to one site who themselves might have been exposed to coronavirus uh, through that first site would then go to some other site and therefore exacerbate the problem. Well, uh, it didn't take long. Um, on April 1st, um, Columbus School was shut down as a food distribution point after the principal there tested positive. Mm -hmm. um, all the workers were sent home for 14 days. I never got an exact count of how many that was, but when I was there, it was about 10 people working there. Um, and then a food uh, prep worker up at the high school where the kitchen is tested positive and they sent home 35 people. So they were also sent home initially for 14 days. Where it got very muddled was the later in the day, the district sent out a, a press release and it said that there had been 35 people plus the person sick who were now home and the food distribution at the high school was on hold. Therefore, no food was going to be going out to uh, any of the food distribution points, um, not just Columbus, but all of them. Uh, and then they sent out a press release an hour later saying nobody was being sent home. And uh, when I spoke to the district, their answer was they had received new guidance uh, that said that these essential workers could go back to work. So I did look into that. I reached out to the CDC and the county. And what I discovered was something I wasn't aware of myself, which is that the um, the New York State Department of Health and the Westchester County Department of Health had put out uh, new directives and really their advisories, their orders, uh, not suggestions, that for essential workers that they could return to work uh, provided that they did certain things like wore masks, gloves, didn't congregate in break rooms and otherwise observe social distancing. So it was correct um, that there was guidance that said these essential workers could return to work the problem was is that that guidance actually was put out on March 31st. So that didn't explain why they sent people home on, on April 1st from Columbus for 14 days. And this was now a week later, and they were sending 35 people home. Then they weren't sending them home. And my other question was, what about the people from April 1st that you sent home? Can they now go back to work? So I never got an answer to any of that stuff. And I would say that that's kind of typical of, of what's been happening with the school district, which is, uh, there's been a huge volume of, of words coming out of the superintendent uh, and press releases and uh, community uh, uh, messages, but uh, not a whole lot of actual information. So basically what we've had going on is very much a PR campaign and not really, in my view, um, telling people what they really want to know. Well, that's so we stop there. So where does it stand now? I mean, uh, I understand that that I mean, is it shut down? Is the whole thing shut down? Are they renewing it? What's going on? Uh, no, the food service is back up and running. Um, it was shut down for a brief period of time so they could clean the facility. Um, the workers uh, were allowed to return to work. I'm not sure how many of them wanted to return to work after finding out that somebody had tested positive at their workplace. Um, but the 35 people were sent home in the morning until they'd been exposed to coronavirus um, at some point, and I'm not clear when because they never answered, 
were told that they uh, actually could return to work. Um, the food service uh, continued. Uh, it's continuing today. So where we're at right now is we're running the food service. Um, I don't know that uh, the situation's really gotten any better. So therefore, I uh, have to expect that we're going to have more of this. I, I don't understand, and I asked this question and didn't get an answer. One of the things that they did in response to my assessment was they had the nurses start going out and, and checking everybody in the morning at 8 o'clock before they actually reported to work at these food distribution locations and the food prep location. So if everybody was being tested every day and screened and they were being had vital checks, temp checks during the day, uh, how did you end up with these people who um, were sick at, at work? And in one particular case uh, with the principal at, at Columbus who, who got sick, uh, he actually got sick on March 25th, but he then went to work on the 26th and the 29th, Eeks. which is staggering considering that the one message that's been consistent from day one, from the top to the bottom of our government, has been if you're sick, stay home. So why on earth would you go to work for three more days? I, I can't fathom that. It's it's it, it, I am flabbergasted. I'm just flabbergasted. Is can we, you know, you know, I guess you have to almost place blame. Where does this link back to who should have been supervising this and didn't? And not so much, just so we understand that this doesn't happen again, um, who was responsible for this? Well, I mean, the uh, ultimately the Board of Ed and the superintendent. Um, are responsible. Um, the person who's actually running the logistics for the food distribution um, is the uh, school business official. Uh, but I mean, you know, the buck stops with the superintendent. So, you know, this is part of my concern about, mm -hmm. you know, what's been happening over the past month is, is that, yes, we're getting a lot of emails coming out all of the time, but they're not actually addressing the most important issues. Um, and the number one issue is the health and safety of the people in the community. And uh, I've been saying it since, uh, you know, mid-March, is that there's been this very cavalier attitude, which is predicated in the idea that people really aren't contagious and people really aren't going to get sick. When obviously that was never true. And it's certainly not true now because we've had two cases. And understand the implications, okay? At Columbus School, they had to close it down because the principal tested positive, okay? Mm -hmm. He was interacting with an awful lot of people because he was running the food distribution at that particular location. That includes interacting with the families who came to pick up food, okay? So one of the things they warned about was since they're not keeping track of who's getting the food, they wouldn't have any way to communicate with those people about a problem with the food, like that somebody got sick. So. In, in, and think about this. In the case of, of the Columbus School, they didn't send out a press release. They didn't send out a district-wide communication. The only thing that went out was an email that went to the Columbus School community. And I've asked how that makes sense, given the fact that there's only three school district food distribution locations, and anybody 18 or under is eligible to go to them. So the people who are getting the food at Columbus School are not simply students and parents from that school. For starters, obviously, that school also includes the Isaac Young School District. It also includes New Rochelle High School. 
So you could have kids who are 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're getting their food at Columbus too, but they're not mm -hmm. on the mailing list for the Columbus school. And then other schools in the area, elementary schools like Jefferson and Webster, would also be going to Columbus. But in reality, anybody could go to Columbus. And then what if you're a young mom and you've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old? You're also going to Columbus, but you're not on the list. So why on earth would you only send a communication to warn the public that there had been a positive test at, uh, uh, at, at one particular school? And, and the message that went out to Columbus was that they were telling everybody who came in contact with the principal on the 26th and the 29th of March should self-isolate. Well, that would have to be only a small fraction of the number of people who actually came to the school. And when I went to the school, both um, on, on around April 1st and then after the kitchen uh, shut down, mm -hmm. there was no signage explaining anything about what was happening. So there was literally zero communication about what had happened with the Columbus shutdown to anybody except people who are on the Columbus school mailing list, which like I said, I'm guessing that 10%, 15% of the people who are actually going to that location and no signage to explain to people what had happened. So if you showed up, you also didn't find out what was going on. So, you know, I just say over and over again, the communication here has been extremely bad. Well, clearly now, has there been any attempt to to do this better? Have there been any recriminations or are they just floating along? In other words, the principal of that school, it well, seems to me. Well, I can't really answer that question. But from, from, the, from the standpoint of, of your observations, have, has anything changed then? Other than fixing the problem at the cafeteria, um, I'm just flabbergasted. My guest, Bob Cox, uh, he's the managing editor and publisher of Talk of the Sound, and we're talking about his his early stories and then the evolution of, of that story uh, leading to the closing of the kitchen and the way uh, the uh, distancing issue has been managed by the school district. We saw yesterday where the New York City schools will be closed for the rest of the season, and the governor has not yet made a decision at this point do you think it'll make much of a difference whether or not they open up for a month or a couple of weeks or whether they close the schools bob uh well i mean first of all i'm not really clear what's going on with the new york city schools because the governor has said that the mayor doesn't have the authority to make that kind of a decision and i have to figure at the end of the day the governor's probably right. And Cuomo's point was, I shut down the schools. Uh, I'll decide when they reopen. And that's not a decision that I've made yet. It's funny with um, the mayor of New York City, de Blasio, uh, you know, he was about the last person to, you know, agree to shut down the schools mm -hmm. in, in, in New York City. Um, and now he wants to close them, you know, for the rest of the, the school year. I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I just go back to something I wrote back in the middle of um, actually it was uh, I want to say it was March 12th, okay, which is um, the CDC guidance that was put out for New Rochelle because it was you know the containment zone hotspot and all that stuff. Uh, that week, um, the CDC had put out guidance actually on the Monday, 
It didn't get made public till Wednesday night, and then I wrote about it on Thursday morning at about 6 a.m. Um, that the guidance for New Rochelle specifically was that uh, all the schools in New Rochelle be shut down and that they remain shut down until two weeks after the end of spring break, which is the end of April. It actually comes out to be April 27th. Mm -hmm. Okay. And based on that, uh, 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 Cuomo had a press conference uh, on that Monday. So that would have been, let's see, the 12th is Thursday. Help me do the math, Bob. 11th, 10th, 9th, right? So yeah. Wednesday, yeah. So the uh, <laughs> March 9th. Yes. Uh, Governor Cuomo had a press conference and he talked about, uh, at first he said the New Rochelle schools are going to need to shut down. And then he actually ended up saying that the New Rochelle schools had shut down. This caused all sorts of controversy mm -hmm. as to what was going on. Um, but the, we now know, okay, something I was being told by my sources at the time, okay, was about the CDC guidance. Okay, that they had directed the schools be shut down for six weeks. All right, uh, the school district had that information. All right, so they knew exactly what Governor Cuomo was talking about on Monday. But they, uh, Dr. Fayo in particular, pushed back very hard on that. That she didn't want to close the schools, and the reason that she gave had a lot to do with the food distribution. Uh, and it had a lot to do with um, the idea that somehow the kids were safer in the schools than they were roaming the streets of New Rochelle. Not that that was necessarily going to be the case, mm -hmm. but in any case, that was what that was, was happening on that Monday. On uh, Tuesday, the governor then announced the containment zone and that he was shutting down all the schools within the containment zone, which included three of the schools, but two of the largest schools and therefore about 50% of the student population. Um, the response of Dr. Fehu was that um, uh, she, she ordered then the schools to be shut down on Wednesday, uh, the, the, tw uh, the 10th, no, sorry, the 11th, okay, even though the governor's order had said the 12th, okay, and that, I asked her about that uh, at the press conference that she had uh, on Wednesday the 11th. And, uh, you know, she gave her reason. It's, it's on tape that she didn't want to close the schools because of the food distribution and because it was the safest place for kids to be. And, you know, the question I put to her was, why not shut down all the schools? Okay. And she did say, and she said a number of times that she was following the CDC guidance. Now, nobody knew what the CDC guidance was, at least in the public, among the press. But we found out later that night, very late at night on Wednesday, the White House released the CDC guidance for New Rochelle. So we could see it. And what it said was shut down all the schools for six weeks. So I have an issue with that because you, you're going around telling everybody you're following the CDC guidance. You're going to do what the CDC says. But in fact, they told you two days earlier to shut everything down. And you're misrepresenting that at the very least. I mean, that's being charitable. Okay. So I wrote an article the next morning that said they're going to have no choice. If they're going to follow CDC guidance, they have to shut everything down until the end of April. Okay. So meantime, other events were occurring, like the union was going crazy, mm -hmm. okay, and ended up writing this excoriating letter that she was endangering everybody and being reckless and whatever else they said, but it was pretty rough. 
okay, from Martin Daly, the president of the, of the union, okay? Um, meanwhile, and I asked this question too, won't you get parents voting with their feet? In other words, they'll just not send their kids to the schools. You can open them up, they're just not gonna come. And in fact, that was also occurring. In addition, the governor had issued a directive that said if a school had a person with a positive test, they would have to shut down for 24 hours, mm-hmm. okay? And by then, by then, there was already one employee who was believed to have, but had not been lab confirmed, it was presumptive for COVID-19, okay? So all of these things were happening, okay? And so by the end of the day, uh, Dr. Fahu announced that the schools were shutting down for two weeks, okay? Now that was concurrent with what the governor was doing with the, um, it was basically the same period as the containment zone. So what's interesting about that is, is that there was a story that the district promoted the other day, just a couple of days ago, in Psychology Today magazine of all places, that um, portrayed Dr. Fayou as some sort of Winston Churchill figure who had uh, led the school district in this incredible uh, situation with brilliant leadership by being proactive in shutting down the schools. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you from talking to people in this community, the reaction in New Rochelle that I've heard was universal with shock that there would actually be an attempt to portray Dr. Faye was proactive in shutting the schools down when in fact she was the primary person resisting everybody from the union to the parents to the governor to the CDC. She was resisting everybody in all, all possible ways about shutting down the schools. The schools finally got shut down because she had no choice. They had the CDC directive became public. The governor was pushing for it. The union was pushing for it. And the parents were no longer sending their kids to school because they were getting less than 50% of the kids even showing up for school. So to portray that as proactive, as was done in this magazine article, was kind of sick-making. And in fact, the reaction was so negative that Dr. Feo put out a statement about it uh, on Friday night. And uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, she knows there's been some reaction to it, but then trying to claim that she had, in fact, made that she was the one who made the decision to shut down the three schools uh, and then to shut down all of the schools. Um, I mean, if you want to stay on a technical basis that only the superintendent could make an order like that, then you can technically hang your hat on that. But if you want to talk about uh, building trust in the community by being transparent, which is what this article is about, and in fact, there's a quote from her to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, this is uh, HBO rules, right, Bob, on this uh, streaming? Yes. So <laughs> don't piss. Don't, so there's a saying which is, "Don't piss down my neck and tell me it's raining." Right. And that's what she's doing here. Okay, to put out there that she was proactive at shutting down the schools when everybody in this town knows that she was the sole person resisting. Okay, and by the way, she went around to all these schools on Thursday the 12th when she was sick. Okay, and in fact, we now know she was lab confirmed tested positive for COVID-19. Okay, Um, and uh, during her press conference, which we're now told from the Psychology Today article was some sort of calculated strategy to share her personal story to make her a more sympathetic figure. Um, and I ask, I'd ask your listeners to think, 
why does she feel a need to present herself as a sympathetic figure? And I, I'll answer my question myself because everybody in town knows she's screwed up and they're upset about it. And she's got the union and the parents and a whole lot of other people really angry with her. So now she's going to try to rewrite history and make herself a sympathetic figure. It is 9.30. I just, Bob, I need to reset just a minute. It is 9.30. You're listening to Radio Westchester Mornings with Bob Marone. We're the radio station at the train station, although we're broadcasting remotely uh, to be consistent with all of the different requirements and the current zeitgeist. Bob Cox, the managing editor and publisher of Talk of the Sound, considered the source since 2008 as our guest. We're talking about the school district and the issues concerning the when and the closing of the schools and who ordered them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, continue, Bob, and then I want to move on to what's going to be very interesting, assuming if and when the schools reopen and those issues, but, but finish your thought. I just wanted to reset at 930 there. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, during the uh, press conference on March 21st, which she did from her home, uh, which was the teleconference, press conference on Zoom, the now infamous Zoom uh, platform, which everybody mm -hmm. seems to be using these days, um, she said that she made the decision to close down the schools, which was the first time I had heard her say that, uh, and uh, she said that she knew they were going to have to close Isaac anyway. Now, why was that? Wow. Why is that? Well, because they already had because they already had a presumptive case of coronavirus. That that case had actually been brought to my attention by uh, employees at Isaac for days. So she knew that they had somebody there who was presumed to have a coronavirus, was now home but had been in school. And yet they kept the school open, even at Isaac. They had other issues, supposedly, at other places like Albert Leonard. And so there's a general perception that the school district knew a lot more than they were telling people. And in fact, they were keeping schools open when there had been people who had been sick uh, in the schools when they were open. So uh, we also now, of course, know that on that same day, she was visiting all the schools to talk about this. She herself was... Uh, infected all right and now we have a whole other issue here which we don't have the details on so i want to be very careful about this okay she acknowledged that uh, an employee had been sick with coronavirus while school was open after school closed there was still work going on among employees in the building and one of those employees then also tested sick and then exposed his co-workers um, to it. So a lot of people had to be then sent home for that. So then we get this news that one of the employees at Isaac died from coronavirus. Now, one of the questions is, was this somebody who got sick when the school was open and then subsequently died? We don't have a timeline, but this is a critical question because we know somebody was sick while the school was open. That Dr. Feho confirmed that herself. Even though, even though when she was talking, she said, we're not gonna disclose certain cases. And then she proceeded to mumble her way through disclosing that there in fact been two cases of Isaac. If you include herself, there was three cases of Isaac because she was there, okay? But was the person who got sick during that week school was open that last week, is that the person who died? Because if that's the case, 
Just think about the implications of that. Um, I, I am, and it's frightening. Bob, w during this period, every municipality, cities, towns, so the federal government, the national government, counties, uh, I'm sorry, the state government, were disclosing the numbers of people and where they were for the sake of protecting others. And what I'm hearing you say is the school district didn't do that. Well, but in their own school. Uh, Dr. Fay would Dr. Fayo addressed that. She said on her March 21st uh, teleconference presser that the district had received guidance from the Westchester County Department of Health that they did not have to disclose if some employee or student got sick you know, with coronavirus if the person had not been in school up until the day before they were symptomatic. I see. So. So, so she said that that, I don't know that to be true. She didn't actually produce any documentation to that effect, but that's what she said, okay? But she then proceeded to disclose there had been two cases, okay? And neither of which, according to her, the person was sick while school was open. But one person, the, the, it was actually a, a member of the buildings and grounds crew, okay? One person, um, was at the school building after it was closed, but while it was still being open for the custodians to work on it, to clean it, and also they were doing different construction stuff, okay? So they decided to, she decided to disclose that, even though it was after the kids were no longer in the school. But then when she was talking, she ended up backing into, and she kind of mumbled her way through it, that there had been this other case. I, I know it wasn't clear because I had to listen to it about eight times on tape. And I also reached out to other media outlets who were, who were on the call. And uh, they also had reported there was one case at Isaac. And I said, if you listen to the tape, it sounds like she's saying two. And then I was able to confirm independently that in fact it was two. So even in that particular example, and that becomes sort of illustrative of the broader problem, we're still not getting an accurate a bit of information she also said that there was a student at one school uh, who she knew was uh, a positive for COVID-19. Of course, the question was, what school? And she said, I'm not going to say. Well, Why do you think not? that the parents at that kid's school, again, she's claiming that they have directives from the County Department of Health to that effect, that she doesn't have to disclose that. But you know what? There's, even if she has a directive that says you don't have to disclose it, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to disclose it. You know, I, I'm having a hard time believing that the Department of Health would give that directive. And, and I keep an open mind uh, regarding the superintendent. I just can't uh, accept that because why would you put the other children in that school at risk and not disclose it? It, it doesn't make any sense based on the way this entire uh, operation in, in terms of social distancing, et cetera, has evolved. It just doesn't make any sense, or unless I'm nuts, which I take. Uh, well, I'm I not. think it does make sense. It, it, it does make sense if you go back to an interview I did with Dr. Fayo on November 1st, her first day, and I'm going to loosely paraphrase here, but I have the recording and I can go dig it out and play it. Um, because it was generally so uninformative, I didn't bother with it because she gave a bunch of canned answers, and mostly that's what she does is she gives you know canned responses to things. Um, and it's funny, I'm just going to back up. 
So the idea from the Psychology Today article was that by doing this um, press conference to talk about her personal medical situation, that that was a way to communicate authenticity to the New Rochelle School community. Now think about that, right? Because what it's saying is her being uh, uh, open about her personal situation to create authenticity with the school community of her situation and identifying with the people of New Rochelle in and of itself was a calculated manipulation attempted to convince people of something by letting people into her home, literally, uh, and take questions that, you know, in some cases became very personal about using her bathroom and what her kids are doing and how food gets brought to her door and whatever else is going on. That in and of itself was calculated as part of some kind of media strategy. The decision to uh, close the school on Wednesday, March 11th, instead of the 12th, as the governor ordered, we can now look back and see that was calculated specifically so she could say, I did it, even though the governor had just announced it was being done and the National Guard was being sent in, she wanted to be able to say, I did it, okay? Why? Well, I think for the very reason we see in the Psychology Today article that she wants to be able to rewrite history and be able to make it out that she was somehow proactive when in fact everybody in town knows that she wasn't. I mean, how bad is it, Bob, when her own medical director okay went on to this popular facebook group called the moms of new rochelle which full disclosure they all they seem to the administrators all hate me so they're not allowed mm. to talk about me i'm like voldemort for um, the <laughs> their group but the medical the medical director dr brooke balchan who listeners readers probably know i'm not a big fan of but she published on that group okay to say i'm keeping my kids home do whatever you want, basically, but I'm keeping my kids home. When the medical director of your school district is putting out that message, which is basically, hey, mom, don't send your kids to school. You're she is directly subverting. <laughs> I can hear it. Go ahead, Robert. Me? Yeah. Very, very lightly, very lightly. It, so your your equipment is excellent, vibration. so go ahead. I'm just kidding, but it's true. Go ahead. Um. No, that, that, that clearly the medical director is, is basically undermining the superintendent. And obviously she felt strongly enough about it to put herself out there publicly, knowing that the superintendent would obviously be very angry with her for doing that. So what goes into the calculation that says, as a medical director, I am going to bypass the superintendent who's telling people that school's the safest place to be, and I'm going to tell everybody I can, don't send your kids to our schools. Think about that. Let's take a quick break to remind listeners you can subscribe to the Talk of the Sound podcast and all the major services and follow us on Twitter and Facebook or our website, talkofthesound.com, where you can either bookmark our homepage or register for our daily email newsletter. So let's get back to, uh, to me and Bob talking about what's happening uh, these days with the school district in New Rochelle. Bob, after hearing all of this and talking with you the last couple of weeks about this topic, <clears throat> I'm concerned not just about our school district, but all school districts. And you may want to wear both your hats, both as a journalist and as someone who's worked with health and safety for the school. I can't imagine how the schools can reopen without 
these kinds of issues, not necessarily how they were managed, but how these kinds of issues uh, will be presented with us once again. For example, without a vaccine, how are we going to open up these schools? Well, I would say two things about that. Um, one is that, um, you know, what came out of some of Dr. Fehu's statements, even though she kept talking about the food distribution and whatever, she also said things that, that tell you what, what was really on her mind was that she didn't want to lose state aid. Okay. So the reality is <clears throat> that she is not going to do anything that's going to go against what the governor and state eds say regarding state aid. Now, right now, the schools can be closed um, up until the end of, of April 29th because those days are not being counted uh, as deducted from the 180 days. Now, remember, New Rochelle is particularly sensitive to this issue because we're already under fire from the state because for the two middle schools, we weren't providing enough instructional hours and we're facing about a million dollar deduction in state aid just for that issue a year ago. So she's very sensitive to that and I'm not saying she shouldn't be, but to me, it's very simple. The governor is gonna make this decision and it's gonna have to be, what are they gonna do about the, day, the school days and what counts towards state aid and how are you gonna do things like a, a school budget in May if you still don't know exactly what the state aid formula is gonna look like and what's gonna happen with things like summer school and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of variables that go into this and my expectation is we won't hear anything about this until the governor makes a decision about what they're gonna do regarding the state aid days and summer school and stuff like that. Um, and uh, you know that's, that's at the end of April. So uh, I, I think that's how that decision is gonna get made. It's not, not gonna come at a local level, it's gonna come at a state level. It most certainly will, but I'm just wondering, I'll give you some scenarios. So let's, for the moment, assume that they don't close the schools for the rest of the season, uh, the school year, and that they reopen, for argument's sake, in June. And little Johnny, or a teacher in little Johnny's class, comes down with the virus. Now, I doubt we will have reached the so-called herd immunity by then, do they close that school? Do we start all over? Um, in terms of health and safety, uh, I realize this will have to be thought through. For the life of me, I can't see them reopening the schools on that basis. I just can't. Well, the, the policy has been, and I don't know if it's going to change, but it's been that if you had a school that tested, uh, somebody testing positive, you shut the school down for 24 hours, you clean it, and uh, then you reopen the school. Now, um, to your point, um, I happened to listen to a podcast about polio mm -hmm. and, uh, it was really about vaccines and how they worked. And so I'll share an interesting tidbit, which is, do you know where the word vaccine comes from? You know, I read it, but cannot remember. Go ahead. Well, then you don't get a cookie. No, I know. Um, <laughs> I want my cookie. Which, which now you're going to get me started because I miss yeah. that they don't make marshmallow the, cookies anymore. The, okay. the, the, first vaccine, the first vaccine that was ever developed had to do with smallpox. And smallpox um, is related to cowpox. And what happened was this guy in England saw that the people who worked with cows, in particular the milkmaids who were milking the cows, 
um, were developing immunity to smallpox because they were getting cowpox from the cows. So he developed a way, which I won't get into here, uh, to create what turned out to be a vaccine, mm -hmm. okay, a serum, that he injected this eight-year-old kid with, who then developed immunity to smallpox. Okay. Uh, now, the word uh, cow in Latin is vaca. So actually, it has to do with uh, cows. Ah, well, you know, I think I've already yeah. given you this one, and hopefully you forgot, too. You do know where the term quarantine comes from. Well, I mean, go ahead, share it. All right. The word, you handle that. Well, it comes from back when, when Italy, and I forget, the it was one of the, the Baltic countries that Italy was uh, then dominating. And it was during the plague of uh, the Middle Ages, the Black Plague, when they had a 30-day quarantine, they had a 30-day, if you will, quarantine. But then a new king came in and he said, no, I am extending it to 40 days. And in Italian, it's quarenta. So that's where the quarantine comes from. The boat, in other words, well, ship okay. came to the well, harbor. See, see there's a little, it's not useless, folks. Now you know where these words derive from. But still, having said that, I, I, I'm so, just... So, so, so let, me, let me then go, go to polio, right? So, yes. Um, so this story was about the history of vaccines, and in particular, the battle between uh, Jonas Salk, who developed one type of vaccine, and this other guy whose name escapes me. One was at the University of Pittsburgh, Jonas Salk, and one was at the University of Cincinnati, the other guy. And... Um, Salk developed a uh, dead virus vaccine, and the other guy was working on a live virus vaccine. Um, Salk's came out first. Uh, that became widely used initially, but uh, over time, uh, the live virus was ready also, and that turned out to be that much more effective. And therefore, today, when you get polio vaccine, you're actually getting the guy from Cincinnati, the live virus vaccine, not the one that Jonas Salk developed, which has been deprecated. People don't use it anymore. However, in telling all this story, they talked about polio, right? And it has, you know, relevance here because there was no vaccine for polio for forever, right? Until the 50s. But people were getting polio all along for decades. In fact, obviously, people know the case of Franklin Roosevelt getting polio and not being able to walk. Mm -hmm. So what did, what did people do when you had outbreaks of polio? Uh, and, Bob, at your age, you might remember. I talked to my mom. She remembers. Mm -hmm. You know, she's in her 70s. And um, it was something that people lived in, in fear of, okay? Uh, you could die from it. Obviously, mm -hmm. you could be crippled from it. Uh, and so it was something that was like a very scary thing that people over time just learned to live with. And if there was a polio outbreak, then, you know, they would shut down a school. They would quarantine the person the, they would either be basically quarantined to their bedroom in their own home, or if they didn't have a bedroom to be quarantined, they'd be sent to a hospital and put into isolation. But we, the point of this podcast was, we lived with polio having no treatment and no vaccine for decades and decades of time. So I don't agree with the idea that we cannot do anything unless we have a vaccine and the treatment because mm -hmm. we've had a history of dealing with these guys. What you have to do is at some point when you get through this first wave is, yes, of course, work on a vaccine, work on treatments and all the other stuff that's going on. But um, I think that we're going to get to a point where 
um, we're going to accept the fact that there's going to be people getting sick from coronavirus for the foreseeable future, uh, but that life is going to have to go on. Well, and therefore, for to address your question about a school, that if there's a school that has somebody who tests positive for coronavirus or is presumed to have anybody developing a respiratory ailment, whether it's the flu or the coronavirus, is going to be assumed to have coronavirus. If some little kid shows up in a classroom, okay, uh, and starts coughing, number one, every kid is going to run away. Mm -hmm. The teacher's going to run away. And they're going to assume that the kid's got coronavirus, okay? And so then whatever steps are going to be taken will be addressed. But we can't, uh, I mean, I don't see how we can shut down the whole world until we have a vaccine. Well, I, I, I think and, you're, you're and obviously take a, right. Take a year. Bob, going back to the to the polio issue, in, in your review of that podcast, did they say what the rate of death was? Do you know what the rate of death was from polio? I, I, I don't know, but it, it was much, much higher than uh, coronavirus. Was okay. its prevalence? Coronavirus is... Did as many people within a population oh, yeah. get it? Well, I, I don't know all the details of it. No, I'm just uh, wondering. I mean, no, because I know that the, it was... the essence of what you're saying, pardon me, me stepping on your lines there, but the essence of what you're saying is there was a time, and I'm, I'm neither supporting nor declining it, where we had to accept these kinds of risks in a greater way and just go on with life. And for hundreds of years, that was the case. Although during the Black Plague, there were, again, quarantines. Um, it's an interesting dynamic, and well, and but, 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 but Bob, I mean, there, 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 there will, there will be quarantines. Okay, so if somebody has coronavirus, then they're going to be told to, to well, what we have now, Bob, yeah. people don't necessarily understand this. Okay, what we, what we had initially, and what we have today is different. Okay, so in the case of Columbus School, okay, I reported on a parade of teachers that was done by mm -hmm. Columbus School. And uh, I mentioned in one of my articles that the principal who had tested positive was actually leading the parade. And people were outraged <laughs> that the person should have been home and that they were contagious and all the rest of it. Well, I did check, okay? And actually the guidance on what you do with somebody who tested positive is different today than it was, let's say, March 1st. Mm -hmm. Remember, all those people who were quarantined back in early March in the north end of New Rochelle were kept on quarantine and the policy was until you test negative, you're still positive and you're still under quarantine. Well, they released all those people from quarantine, but they actually changed the policy. So now it's that you count seven days from when you first felt symptomatic, okay? In the case of uh, Michael Gallon, the principal at, at Columbus, it was March 25th. Mm -hmm. To do a minimum of seven days, but um, you have to have three consecutive days of no fever without the use of a fever-reducing medication. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have a decline in respiratory problems that your coughing has not completely gone away, but that it has been diminishing. And at that point, you know, you can then go to the second phase, which is you no longer have to isolate in your home. You can do stuff, but you have to wear a mask. You can't go to grocery stores, pharmacies, things like that. You got to basically avoid crowds and, and avoid contact, but you, you can go out and about. So in his case, he was uh, in his car. He had a mask around his neck, but he wasn't wearing it when I took the picture because he was driving down the street and I guess mm -hmm. he was waving to everybody, but he was obviously, you know, far enough away from people uh, that, it, that it really wasn't an issue. But 
So there was a lot of misinformation when that story ran. People mm -hmm. jumped on him and screaming and yelling about how could he do that? He's supposed to be at home. Well, actually, that's not our policy anymore. And our, our policy is that if a school has a case, it shuts down for 24 hours and gets clean. If you get coronavirus, uh, you can be uh, required to uh, isolate at home, be quarantined for no more uh, for as little as a week. Okay, uh, and then if you're feeling better and you don't have the fever and you don't have the coughing, you can go go about your business. So that's the world that we've gotten to today, not what we were talking about in the first half of March. So a lot has changed, and I don't think a lot of people have caught up with those changes. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we get to the point, let's say, and I don't. I mean, the governor's pause ends at the end of April. So in May, right, if we have schools reopening, what's going to happen is if somebody gets a positive test, then uh, they're going to shut down the school for a day. They're going to clean sense. it. They're going to do tracing back to find out who that person was in contact with. In the meantime, right, you, what, what you'd expect to see is, is that at the schools themselves, they're going to have to come up with some social distancing policies. Mm -hmm. For example, you're going to have to, I, for example, I don't know how you're going to move the kids around in the hallways. Okay, they can't all just leave a classroom at the ring of a bell, like at the high school, because then they're all in the hallway together. Mm -hmm. Or um, how can you do the how can you do the cafeteria? How can you do kids entering the building and going through an ID check? You know, you're going to have to have everybody in line, six feet apart. So it could take an hour, you know, to check everybody in in the day. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you would do the meals where everybody's going to be six feet apart. There's no way the, the cafeteries are already too crowded. It almost seems like you need so to elongate the school day. You need to elongate the school day to have things more sequenced, I should think. Well, I, I, don't, have, I don't know what they're going to do. What's going to happen is the government's going to come up with uh, requirements as to what the school districts have to do. It'll come from state ed, and they'll say that you're going to have to come up with a plan to have no more than this many people doing this and you know whatever the plan is going to be um and then we may be following that plan for a year or two yeah absolutely okay? because Do you know anytime you get you you i just want to reflect here for a second i'm going back to what you said at the uh the initial part of, of, of this segment which is that at some point in time we are going to have to live with this virus and do the do do best practices but move on and uh, that is inevitable, whether it's at the end of this year or the beginning of the next school year, and it's inevitable in society, isn't it? Well, it could be in three weeks. Yeah, Okay, absolutely. because the, the, the government programs, the state and federal program, are all basically for the month of, of April. And obviously everybody knows that the president wants to reopen as quickly as he can. And um, look, the fact of the matter is we, we deal with, the flu and the common cold and there's no magic cure for that there's no vaccine for that really i mean you can get a, a flu shot every year but even those flu shots are not 100 percent effective i think that the best ones are maybe 60 percent effective so we live in a world where you can get sick from a lot of things and i'm not dismissing the problem with coronavirus which is that there's no vaccine but we have lots of things there's no vaccines for and um you know, that uh, uh, it's spread very easily and uh, we don't have like a really good mitigation uh, uh, for it or treatment for it. So, and, and then you look at the reality, which is that 84% was the last number I saw of the people who are dying are over 60. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, uh, you're going to have to have a special situation for people, especially in nursing homes and, and, and places where you're going to have large groups of older people. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to have to come up with something, but what we can't do is just have the government keep printing money to the tune of trillions of dollars mm-hmm. and then end up in a situation where uh, we have hyperinflation and nobody can eat. So instead of dying of coronavirus, you're literally dying of starvation. And if you think that can't happen, it's happened plenty of times over mm-hmm. the course of history. It's mm-hmm. happened even in the last 10 years. You had hyperinflation in places like Argentina, mm-hmm. Brazil. You now have it in Venezuela. People can't buy a loaf of bread. I mean, okay. and, and you so well know, point, you can't keep doing that. And you know as as well as I do that it, I think it cost after world after the depression in uh, the effect in Germany, it cost a hundred thousand Reichsmarks to buy a loaf of bread. <laughs> uh, inflation, and that's uh, actually it was uh, it was actually in the twenties, and yeah. uh, it cost eighty eighty billion. Was that right, Marks? I thought it was even yeah, Reichsmarks. Well, Reich Marx was was under Hitler. Well, they so, after Hitler, right? But um, Marx, you're absolutely right. Yes. No, no, before, before, before Hitler. Was yes, no, I know that. It's what led to the, it was what led to the rise of that, Hitler. Was yes. that? Yeah, it was, it was eighty billion marks. Something ridiculous. So, yeah. Effectively, well, people were literally bringing wheelbarrows full of cash yeah, to buy food. Did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, but if you think that can't happen, you don't understand economics. You cannot keep printing money indefinitely. Right now, we're able to do it because you have the full faith and credit of the government. However, people may not remember this, but under the last administration, for the first time in however many years, history, um, the United States government bond rating dropped from AAA to AA. That's it for today's episode. We put a link to the story in the show notes in the podcast. You can always check there for links mentioned in the show and any other tidbits from the episode. Remember, you can subscribe to the Talk of the Sound podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and with any of your favorite podcast apps via RSS. Complete details on talkofthesound.com under podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Talk of the Sound, on our Talk of the Sound Facebook page, or visit our website at talkofthesound.com where you can bookmark our homepage or register for our daily email blast. Thanks for listening.